rediscover the facets of yourself that have been kept hidden away for far too long. For just $1, you can take a journey and make it your ultimate transformation. Center of the Sun Plus offers more tools, support, and community to help you explore your inner realms. Click the link in the description to join today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello. You're listening to Center of the Sun podcast. This is Center Sun 21. Thank you for listening. Do you fear death? I was thinking, I was just making my cup of coffee. It's it's the morning time. I'm not going to put which day because I don't know when y'all listening to this, but it's the morning time. I was making my coffee and um, I'm using Great Value Hazelnut Powdered Creamer. I specifically got that creamer because number one, I am literally addicted to hazelnut. Excuse me, I'm literally addicted to hazelnut creamer. In addition, I got the powdered version because I don't like the way that cold cream, <laughs> refrigerated cream, or creamer or whatever, um, I don't like how it changes the temperature of my coffee because I like, I like Starbucks level um, heat in my coffee. Um, I want to be burning my mouth off and, uh, and I don't fuck with Starbucks no more. So I got to make it at home. Um, I don't care how many times they have a, a, a diversity training. Clearly diversity training is the problem. But anyway, uh, hazelnut creamer powdered from, uh, with the great value brand on it, which is quintessential Walmart brand. Okay. I was, it was, it struck me when I was pouring this cup of coffee because, uh, let me take another sip. It struck me because I actually don't go to Walmart very often. I mean, I have something that I use so often um, right there on the counter with Walmart's label on it. I'm kind of um, prompted, a, prompted a few thoughts because number one, I don't fuck with uh, Starbucks and I definitely don't fuck with Walmart. So I thought, um, and there are other brands that I don't fuck with because of their inability to empathize with just like normal ass people or like the people that work for them even. Y'all you know, empathize with, with the customer. Empathize with the people that actually keep your shit going every, every day. And I feel like Walmart has failed multiple times. And I think actually not failed, like intentionally not done things because they're evil. But I found myself at Walmart because Kroger here in the Midwest, the the, the uh, grocery store chain in the Midwest, the smaller one, but it's still pretty good. Actually, I'd prefer, if I were to eat their food, I would prefer Kroger because it just, feel, it, I can tell, you can tell your stomach feels different when you eat certain foods. But anyway, Kroger just had a series of recalls for their romaine lettuce. So when I go to the store, I literally get the same fucking thing because I'm kind of picky. 
when it comes to ingredients and preservatives and additives, like I want to minimize that kind of stuff because I feel like there's an information gap between people of color, specifically black people, specifically black men, even more specific black men who have sex with other men, even more specific than that, black gay men do not have the tools or the information to, and I think this is also intentional, to make decisions about their health without the input of other corporations, government bodies, institutions. We should be able to take charge of our own health and agree or disagree to be a part of whatever system is created. But for some reason, we are being forced to eat and drink and uh, live in very concentrated and pre-planned places. So when I heard about the series of recalls that came down from Kroger, I was like, okay, that's fine because that's what happens, you know? I would rather them tell us that something's wrong than me find out and then die. So I really appreciated it, but it started off with organic beef. And I was at work and I work in a clinic, so there's a TV there on at all times with, with the news on. I get to control the TV, so I only play Gail King, CBS in the morning, and I saw a recall and then went to switches off from Gail King, it switches to local news. So local news turned on at whatever time it was. And I just happened to walk by the TV and, there was, and they were showing this exact meat and brand that I buy from Kroger that was recalled because of inexplicable blue pieces of plastic. And I tell you, I, one of the things that I learned from my previous boyfriend and well, no, yeah, I learned a lot of things. Um, that I will account, I will give him credit for, but I can't fuck with him no more because he's fucking rude. But he always told me, you can afford good food. When I was growing up, we always ate at Aldi, we always ate at Walmart, we always ate fast food, we always did all these little, we always cut corners. I was eating hot dogs and ramen noodles and Hardee's monster burgers and Ryan's buffet. And I ate a lot, a lot of, of um, junk food and I and even to this day I even joke around I even joke around but I literally excuse me the coffee I literally am a junk food junkie so as I approach 30 and I'm trying to get my life together and trying to like not have heart disease by 35 <laughs> um, or 40 I took heat to his suggestion like yeah actually if I really look at my budget and look at because I have a full-time job so I can afford, if I wanted to, I can plan and afford things with careful planning. Smoking cigarettes, drinking beers, you know, doing extracurricular activities. I can decrease bad things and increase good things. So I took heed ever since then. I've been really trying to eat organic, eat more fiber, eat more this, be more intentional about my diet, be more intentional about the source of my food, be more intentional about how they treated the animals prior to even giving them to me um, to eat. There are all these considerations that I have to make now, which actually have been very good, and I have seen an improvement in not only my body weight, because it doesn't fluctuate as much, and I'm not even that, it's not even that big of a deal, but like, I would move from a 36 pant, a wide 36 pant, to a 32, uh, a skinny 32, which didn't make no sense. 
Um, so I have a range of genes. <laughs> I have a range of genes, including fat genes. Well, what I consider fat genes, because 38 is still not fat. I thought I looked pretty good, but that's that was the height of the that was the height of the, when I got cheated on. So I'm like, well, damn. I liked ass and titties, honestly. But because it made me feel. I don't know, more substantial as a person. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm already 6'2", so carrying 220 pounds on my body doesn't feel like much, as opposed to other shorter people. But anyway, that's one of the things that I became most interested in in the last, probably like the last five years, was just diet. And I almost said exercise like I exercise. But um, that's always been in the back of my mind, was to, if I, can if I can control anything, I can at least control what I pick up at Kroger and put in the cart. So, when I walked past that TV and saw that Kroger beef recall, I was pissed because I just spent like 30 bucks just on like a few pounds of like beef just to put in the freezer, organic beef, no additives, no preservatives. Like I want the best of the best if my budget allows. So it was on sale that particular day. So I picked up whatever I'd picked up. I think it was six bucks a pound. It, because it was on sale that day. So I was like, bet, I'm getting a few of these and da-da-da. Took that stuff home, put it in the freezer, forgot about it. I kid you not. <laughs> I walked past the TV, I'm like, wait, all the organic beef got plastic in it? Like, what? Like, I was pissed. So I fussed for like a few days. I ended up taking, I ended up probably eating like most of the meat and ended up taking back one of the pounds that I had in the freezer. And then, so I was cool with that because I was going to, like, when I took the meat to the, like, I was planning to get spicy because I took it at, like, 7 or 8 when I know that there wasn't a line at customer service. I put it in a bag. I waited till the, the man was alone so I could ask for a manager and not make a scene because I was pissed. How are you going to pay, how are you going to charge me premium price for organic when you don't even control for blue particulates in the factory. Like what? I'm so confused. What am I paying for? So anyway, the, I was about to turn up in the Kroger, but I took my little $7 back because it was no question because it was a, a recall. He took my meat. I brought, got my $6, $7 back because it was changed, whatever. Went, about, went on about my business. Then a week later, in Arizona, they were calling Kroger Romaine Lettuce, <laughs> or whatever time frame this is. There was also another recall of Romaine Lettuce. Guess what else I always buy when I go to the store? A box of salad. But that particular week, I was a little bit, um, I was trying to pinch pennies, so I was like, I'm, a, I'm a just gonna get the three, ho you know how they put three heads of Romaine in a bag, and it's like a dollar or two, and it lasts longer, and it's a little bit cheaper, but you just not as nutrient dense as like the power greens box. So I was like, I'm just gonna do this. It's still got a little bit of fiber in it. I'm gonna throw some tomatoes and some, you know, I'm gonna throw some other stuff on it to beef it up as a part of my balanced diet that I'm trying to be intentional about. So now I'm livid because E. coli working in my clinic one year ago, I was being trained um, to look at a certain protocol, and I was in a room. I was in, an, I was in my lab, and across from my lab is there. There's an exam room that's a surgical. It's a more of a surgical procedure room, so there's a big fluffy bed for people 
who are getting like lumbar punctures and stuff, and it's a little, it's just a little bit more comfortable than your standard exam room table, right? So I'm getting trained one year ago, and um, for some, it was like 5 p.m. or something, and the building was closing, and everyone was gone, but me and like two nurses, and I step out in the hallway for some reason, and I see a woman who missed her appointment. Um, she's coming out around like five. I'm in training, so I'm like, hey, but I didn't recognize her face, and I didn't know her, but I knew I missed an appointment that day from a woman. And um, she's crying and kind of shuffling down the hallway and kind of moving slow and like moaning and groaning and crying and like retching in pain. And I'm like, hi, like come sit, like come sit down, like come here. Um, so I bring her to my clinic, have her sit down, ask her what's wrong. Do you have an appointment? What's going on? Yes, she was supposed to be in my clinic. She was due at that time. Um, but why are you in so much pain? because I just work in a research clinic. So people don't, I don't take ambulatory chief complaints. I don't take people, I don't, I don't, we don't see people who haven't, who, ha who aren't there for like a research study visit. So the fact that you're in pain was very odd because like research is voluntary. So you don't come to a clinic when you're in like retching in pain. But anyway, I have her sit down, she, proceeds to start rocking, crying, moaning, all these retching in pain in this chair. And I'm like, okay, girl, like, let's lay down. How about that? So I don't take her to the procedure table because I didn't think it was that serious. It's just because she's crying and I know she's in pain. So I'm like, do you want to lay down? At this point, I thought she had the flu, to be perfectly honest. I was like, okay, you look like you have the flu. I didn't take any vitals because I had two nurses there. It was fine. And I had her sit had her lay down on an exam table, gave her blankets and stuff. It was around flu season, so I was convinced she had the, 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 aches, the aches from the flu. Because, I mean, I had the flu, and I, that shit was painful. But anyway, I have her lay down on the exam table. Call her nurse. Yes, she has an appointment. I'm coming down now. The, the, the nurse, so I proceed to go to, I lay, let, let the woman lay down in the room for a minute until the nurse comes in. I proceed to the other nurse to finish my training. And all of a sudden, that nurse that I originally called is bringing the patient to the procedure table, to the procedure room across which I'm sitting, you know? She's like, she's doing all this stuff, she's doing all this stuff, she takes her vitals, she does all this stuff. I don't know what she's doing in there because I don't really know. I'm not in the medical field like that. I'm just a, kind of an assistant. I'm a research assistant, so I'm like, learning as I go, and it's all based on protocols, so it's very specific, and this and that. And then she's like, call the ambulance. Or call medical transport, <laughs> rather, first, because we're at the hospital, you don't call the ambulance to come back to the, you know, we're already at the hospital. But she's like, call medical transport. I call medical transport. Medical transport is four to five hours delayed. And we're like, fuck. This woman is like declining, like she was declining within minutes. Call medical transport. We don't have time to wait four or five hours. Call 911. So I'm like, really? 911? Like, what? Because we have to get somebody who is competent and has the equipment to come and transport this woman to the emergency department because we are in a research clinic not far, but too far away. And we don't have the supplies here to save her life. Like, we don't have a crash cart. We don't have anything. I could call Code Blue, but I don't know who would come. So she puts her on the exam table, on the procedure table that is 
built for lumbar punctures and surgical procedures because it's just a little bit more comfortable for long for longer term laying, right? I call 911. I know in the back of my mind that this is about to be some bullshit because we at the hospital call 911 to come to the hospital like I know these people going going to be mad. So I'm like, let me go meet them because it's like you got to walk up and down stairs and stuff. So I was like, let me go meet them at the door so there's no delay. I meet them at the door. Guess what? They argue with me outside. (laughs) It must be a black man thing because no one believes what I say, even if I say it in the most proper and most succinct and precise and all of these things. And I'm like, I am not a medical professional, so I can't speak to her symptoms in a way that translates urgency. So I'm like, oh, and the kicker is that the woman was HIV positive. So I, I, I knew that part. <laughs> and then, but I'm not gonna say it outside in the ambulance bay. I'm just not gonna say it because that's where patients come in and it was 5 p.m. so it was busy, like people were leaving. And I'm like, the woman's sick. The nurse told me to call you. I can't tell you what's going on because I don't know and I'm not sharing her status with you, so I can't, I'm not using that as the shock factor because you're just gonna judge her. So I can't say that, I can't speak to her symptoms because I don't know what they are. And all I know is that you need to come see her now. So I say, I think I repeat that like three or four times. I'm like, I don't know, come see her. And they're like, why would you, why are you calling us? Why are you doing this? And it's these black guys, I'm a black guy. So they're arguing with, with me about a person that I call them to come save. I'm like, I'm not here to argue, follow me, please. They follow me upstairs, They, I walk in, I go back to my training, because I'm like, I am pissed at this point. Like, how dare you argue with me? This is a hospital, I'm telling you that we have an emergency and you're arguing with me, delaying her care. They take one look at this woman and they shut the fuck up. And I still didn't know at that time what was wrong with this woman. They shut the fuck up. Oh, it was so silent. It was, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. The amount of fighting that I have to do to, I I have to advocate for people who are dying? Like what? I have to fight for people who are dying in the hospital by emergency medical service. (laughs) Like, I'm so confused. It was firefighters and ambulance people, EMS people, whatever it was, but they pissed me off that day. So I went and sat back down in my chair and I could see the woman in the room and the people crowding around her trying to, save her. They get her on the gurney, take her out. That's all she wrote. And we're like, wow. We sit there like, what the fuck just happened? Because that's pretty, because it was just out of the blue. So the next day, you know, everything settles down. I close the clinic. I leave. Because I thought the woman just had the flu. Every, I guess everyone just thought she had the flu. So then the next day, I talk to the nurse. And I'm like, hey, girl. How is so-and-so? And I think it might have been like three days later because she was like really sick and she almost, literally almost died. And the, and the nurse was like, she was in septic shock from E. coli. And I was like, oh, what? Like septic shock is, let's look it up because I'm not a doctor, but let's just do a Google search. Google, hey Siri, Google. What is septic shock? So we're gonna read it on the fly here. What is septic shock? Let's do Mayo Clinic. 
Sepsis is a potentially life-threatening complication of an infection. Sepsis occurs when chemicals released into the bloodstream to fight the infection trigger inflammatory responses throughout the body. This inflammation trigger can cascade, or this, this inflammation can trigger a cascade of changes that damage multiple organ systems, causing them to fail. If sepsis progresses to septic shock, blood pressure drops dramatically, which can lead to death. Anyone can develop sepsis, but it's most common and most dangerous in older adults or those with weakened immune systems like a woman who is HIV positive. Early treatment of sepsis, usually with antibiotics and large amounts of intravenous fluids, improve chances of survival. So, I was in the perfect storm of conditions to allow this woman to die. And had I, you know, had this delayed four or five hours, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have um, survived it. I, I can honestly say that. And when the nurse told me that she was in septic shock by the time she got to the emergency department and it was due to E. coli, I didn't understand where you got E. coli. You get E. coli from the shells of eggs. You get E. coli from not cooking your meat. You get E. coli from leaving out potato salad. You, you, you know, we do all these things and we tell ourselves, this is how you prevent E. coli. This is how you prevent food poisoning or whatever it is. E. coli can be food poisoning or you can get it from another source. You can get it from playing with the baby, you know, you know, touching feces. There's all kinds of things that can happen from it. So fast forward. So she ended up being fine. She's fine, whatever, because we caught it in time. Thank God. <laughs> like, what? Like, you gonna argue with me? Like, are you fucking serious? Anyway, <clears throat> a year, I guess a year, like two weeks ago, two weeks ago, a year, Kroger, the same grocery store chain that recalled the beef for blue part bits of plastic in their beef have now recalled all romaine because of E. coli poisoning, the risk of E. coli poisoning. And then I'm like, oh my God, that's how the woman got E. coli. It's probably from eating a fucking salad. A salad, for real people, a salad can kill you. Never eat a salad in a restaurant. <laughs> Please, because you don't know if it was washed. You have to wash all of your vegetables, even if it looks clean and pretty, because, because pathogens can adhere to any surface, pretty much. You just want to take the extra step. And I've seen it with my own eyes, where septic shock is the result of not washing or could be the result of not washing vegetables. So I'm like, it's a very easy and quick thing to do to prevent something like dying in my presence because I don't know what to do. I'm just sitting there. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. So I'm pissed. And then I think I finished the bag of salad that I had because I was like, well, fuck, if I have E. coli, I'm going to just, I'm going to have it, but I'm not going to throw perfectly good food away. So I actually stopped buying romaine from Kroger. I started going to Walmart to get my groceries because I'm just like, Kroger, you're killing me with the recalls here. You're killing me with the price. You're killing me with the recalls. Like, what am I paying for? I don't understand what am I paying for. I don't know. Because I have to do so much back 
work. And I have to keep up with the news so much just to see if y'all trying to kill my ass. So I took my ass right up the street to Walmart instead just to see what they had. And to my surprise, I was very surprised at how well they are trying to keep up with the current trend of organic and stuff. Because that's why I couldn't go to Croak. I couldn't go to Walmart initially because I was like, well, you don't have organic. You don't have... Um, you don't try to minimize additives in your food. You don't try to minimize preservatives in your food. I can't go there, especially I'm not going to stop eating meat. So I'm going to have to like go somewhere. So actually, I said, you know what? Fuck you, Walmart. Fuck you, Kroger. Fuck all grocery stores that do not care about the people that they serve. So I started using a farm co-op, and it's been amazing. But I had to stop doing that because I couldn't. I worked too much. I couldn't go get my food, and I was, like, at risk of, like, wasting money. And I'm like, what I don't do is waste money unless it's, like, for fun um, or something fun or pre-planned. Excuse me. Ooh, I'm sleepy. The coffee. But I've been using a farm co-op, and then I had to stop using the farm co-op, and then I decided, let's go back to Walmart. So I went to Walmart, and it, that all struck me because... As I'm pouring my coffee, I'm like, I don't think I've ever had one inkling that Walmart was trying to kill me, ever. For my whole childhood, I have never in my, it has never entered my mind that there was a problem with the way Walmart processes their food. Now, from a preservatives and an additive standpoint, they got a lot of work to do because they're poisoning people with their red 40 and their high fructose corn syrup, I really believe it, not poisoning like cyanide poisoning, but it's creating small changes to our body that create inflammation that have long-term and cascading effects like septic shock, or sepsis rather. So, it hit me though, when I was making my coffee, I was like, wait, Kroger has threatened my life twice in like a month and Walmart has never threatened my life in the 30 years that I've been alive. So I don't understand what's going on with this world. And then it got me thinking about death because I'm like, wait, I fear death now from Kroger? <laughs> I feel death now from Kroger? I fear death, rather. And to be hit with one's mortality while pouring a cup of coffee, it actually prompted me to immediately come to my computer and share my thoughts because Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, my little sister, cousin, countless other people have died. And every time it happens, it sends waves of anxiety and bouts of depression throughout my body. And I try to remain cognizant of how they make me feel so that I can let them let the feelings be as they are in the present moment and then let them pass so I can move on to something that is productive. Because thinking about the past and obsessing about the future have a value and they do serve a purpose, but they are not the end all and be all of our lives. We should not be living in this flurry of memories and nostalgia, and we should also not be so worried about the future that it hinders us from moving forward. Because that is one of the biggest 
things that I have. My superpower is compartmentalization like a motherfucker. I can compartmentalize anything. I can cut anyone off because I've had to. It's out of need, out of the need for, for survival. I can do anything with my mind. My mind is like a... I've had to reevaluate how I perceive my own consciousness. And I have to... What I'm learning now is that I don't learn, I learn in more of a passive way. And it will, it's a hybrid because it's like, I have to inundate myself with information, but I don't necessarily have to be paying attention to it. Well, that's a misnomer. Let's, 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 uh, let's describe it in another way. So like, uh, what is that suggest? Like hypnotism, you know, how you could be hypnotized. So you aren't conscious, but your subconscious is, and it's, um, what is it? What am I trying to say? It's responding to commands from somebody, even though they've put you to sleep or whatever it is. I've never been under hypnot. I've never been hypnotized. Personally, I don't want to be, unless it's not. It's unless it's clinically necessary for mental health or something. But I've realized the power of suggestion and the power of words on the human body and not even from a spiritual or metaphysical standpoint like literally our bodies the tissues in our bodies respond to certain energies that are um, sent through radio waves through the air or wherever however it goes I don't really understand physics to that degree but I understand there's an effect and there's mass and there's a weight to it which interacts with the energy and the mass and the weight of the receiving end of whatever information or data that's being processed. And I say data because it's, it probably does go, it probably does have a um, reductive format in which it's like a one or a zero, or like the, if you break it all the way down to the string, to the vibration, to the vibrational string of, the, of an energy particle, there probably is some sort of binary or code or something going on. And of course, I'm obsessed with the matrix, so I think everything is like a, probably a simulation or something, and it probably boils down to a binary code. So when I think about the own, my own mind and my own consciousness, I've been able to unlearn old ways of thinking and relearn new ways of teaching myself how to think and how to learn in a way that it is permanent. Because the step, the discrete steps that they teach us in school and the methods of engaging with information and stuff didn't really I mean I could do it fine like I could write a paper fine I can do take a test fine but I don't enjoy it and I don't really retain the information in the long term so as I become more of a citizen scientist and just I'm just curious about my own body and how much we've been let misled <laughs> not to burst anyone's bubble but we've been misled and when I revisit all the things around death and around suicide and around depression and mental illness and all these factors that 
go into our decisions daily, it forced me to want to reevaluate my feelings about death and mortality. And one of the arguments that I hear in support of death and support and in support of not grieving death is that energy cannot be transmuted or destroyed or transferred or whatever it is. But I'm like, do y'all know that like fire is a transfer of energy, like from solid to ash is a transfer of energy. And you know, like we can, yeah, energy technically cannot be transmuted or destroyed. It can't be transferred to another body. It is what it is, but it also can be broken up into infinite pieces too. And then Who's to say that our consciousness is still retained in that energy? Who's to say that our maybe the amalgamation of the energy is our consciousness? And once you break it apart, it's no longer consciousness. It's no longer the same. Um, it only con energy constantly is changing its form. So you can be you can turn from a dead body into a blade of grass, or you can be turned in, from a dead body into ash, which which non-transmutable, non-degradating non, uh, form of energy do you want to be? Because there's many, for, there are infinite forms and we don't even understand, we don't even understand it, like not even for a minute. And we're kind of, we're trying to be intelligent about how we talk about death and how we justify, how we justify it's hard to explain because there are many other factors too that go into it in terms of religion and just pure science. And we're constantly changing our thoughts around suicide and around death and around harm to ourselves and the anxiety that comes with it and the, and the negative behaviors that come with it. It's really given me pause, it really has. Even as I think right now, it's like I probably had some grand thought prior to me starting this whole thing that has now been blown away because now I'm thinking about my own mortality. And I personally am resolved in death. I don't fear death like I used to. In my early 20s, I probably feared death the most. Right now I fear death because I'm turning 30 and I'm like, fuck, here we go. This is where, this is my youth. <laughs> my pretty youth is now diminishing, but um, luckily black men age well, so that's on my side. But I have to be more conscious and more cognizant about how, how I approach the notion of death. And it all stemmed from me pouring my coffee this morning. And it got me thinking, it's like a rabbit hole of thinking where you're like, well, is suicide that bad? Well, where do we get ideas of suicide from and why are they so taboo? And why do we say that people go to hell when they commit suicide when we know that suicide is like the most unbearable pain that anyone can feel? Or the compulsion to self-harm is, is opposite of our human, um, directive you know our human our biological directive to survive is that a directive is that just an idea like flossing that we just tell ourselves and never actually researched yeah flossing is never researched find me a study about flossing 
in a way that we've studied other other methods of taking care of our bodies. I think it's all marketing. And it actually pisses me off that we can be manipulated in that degree. But it's also pretty telling about how we can unlearn things and relearn things in our own way. And this whole thing about flossing and market marketing and the whole dental the whole dental industry period is built on our ignorance about our own bodies because there are whole tribes on the continent of Africa who have never touched toothpaste and never touched the processed sugar and never touched anything other than what is in front of them naturally from the ground that they grew and went to get and ate it them themselves and they have every single one, one of their teeth white and pearly just like God intended whoever God is to you yet we're here with braces and tooth, toothbrushes and bleeding gums and flossing and dental hygienists and dental surgery and all these other things probably because we're so mixed actually I think it's probably because we're just mixing DNA too much it's causing more variations in the way that we're um, our comp the composition of our body but that's neither here nor there there are fundamental things that we have to unlearn death is one of them I kid you not. We need to, especially black men, black gay men, death is ever present. It really is. And it's, it's, it's kind of a mind fuck when I think about being murdered and how people are, will be justified in murdering me potentially. And I have to be resolved in being murdered because what I'm not gonna do is take anybody's shit. So you're gonna have to kill me, sorry in order to, to shut me up, because I have every tool to my disposal. And when I really think about it, my grandparents sacrificed a lot to bring themselves up to the North, to give me the most, the best chance I could get, because I was adopted, so I didn't even have a chance when I was born. But I was saved in some way and put close to white people <laughs> to learn and to take everything that I could to advocate for people like me. And that is the purpose of the Center of the Sun podcast as well, because I feel like I have been misled by every person, not intentionally per se, but I can't, or we rather, cannot rely solely on other people's information. We need to seek it ourselves. We need to close the information gap. We need to rethink everything. We need to break everything down and rethink it just like ourselves. Most black gay men have had a renaissance. Coming out is a renaissance in and of itself. There are various different things that happen to black gay men that you don't see, that we all know that we um, go through or potentially could go through that we don't share with because there's so much stigma and so much shame around our own bodies that we would rather hide and rather address it at a later date. But Trump is in office. We gotta do something. We have to support ourselves because no one's gonna support us and all they wanna do is kill us, believe it or not, or create the conditions for us to kill ourselves maybe not with a method of suicide but with a method of self-harm over the long term i can't i can't place it but all i know is that we got to close the information gap so that 
when it's time for you to make a decision about death, you have every tool at your disposal, up into and including medical treatment. What are your thoughts? I want to hear from you. I got this number, the second line, uh, area code 513-289-0474. Send me your thoughts. What do you think about suicide? Have you experienced self-harm? Do you... Do you want to die? <laughs> is that, is that, am, am, I, am I allowed to ask that? Because I don't think enough people allow themselves to think that. If you want to die, why do you want to die? Is it justified? What is going on? Because toxic positivity, telling you not to feel it, you know, I'm not the same as, in, as anyone else. Toxic positivity, we're all just alike. Everything will be all right. The world is one. Jesus is the savior. Like, oh, gee, oh my God. No, 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 no. Everything in my body says otherwise. Everything in the world contradicts positive, uh, positivity and perpetuity. Now, what I do advocate for is authenticity and perpetuity and, and uh, making sure that we are emotionally intelligent because a range of emotions is healthy. So I've learned as I approach 30, being happy all the time, not healthy. Being sad all the time, not healthy. Moving from one pole to the other pole, <laughs> um, not healthy. Um, you need balance, we need to strive for balance. And by rethinking how I learn and rethinking how I think and rethinking the notions that have been instilled inside of me by my family and my friends and my peers and my boss and this and that, um, and no longer relying solely on the information provided by others, I feel like we can start making steps. We can start making steps to becoming whole. And that's why we rely on sex and smoking and drinking because those things make us feel whole. And if you only care about those things, you're still a whole ass person. Don't let nobody tell you otherwise. I was just on Twitter the other day, unfollowing everybody because I'm like, who hurt y'all? <laughs> who told you that you were not a whole person because of whatever reason? You are a human, you have blood, you have guts, you have a brain, you have a heart. Use them. You are whole. You are inherently a whole person. To suggest otherwise is evil. To suggest otherwise is evil. Sorry, I just slurred that word a little bit ago. So moving along, I want to revisit the neuroscientist that I've been talking about over the last few weeks. His name is David Eagleman. I want to revisit his article in The New Yorker from 2011 titled The Possibilian. And I did finish the article again because it's so long. I'm like, damn, New Yorker, like what kind of motherfucking book did you write? But it was so interesting to hear his journey through just learning about the brain and his excitement. And, and they were talking about how he was so committed to his science that he literally had like a bag of potatoes under his desk that he would just microwave and eat. Like that was all he did. He didn't move. Like that's not healthy. Balance, balance, balance. But in the pursuit of science, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes it's so good that you can't stop and you don't want to take a break in between. 
between what you're doing. But so that's what motivated me to keep reading because I'm like, wow, he's committed and he's smart and he's probably nice to in his own way. So I'm going to um, pull out some notes because it took me a while to get through the article. And I wrote notes because Eagleman asserts in his article in the, in the New Yorker titled The Possibilian that time and memory are so intertwined it's hard to discern between them. And I just want to read that again. Time and memory are so intertwined, it's hard to discern between them. Personally, I have um, the tendency to overthink um, by making connections with past memories, ideas, while I'm actively listening to somebody. And I think that everyone does this. And he was talking about time as being a sense. Sight, touch, smell, you know, all those senses. And then we're just, and we already know that the five, six senses are not just the five, six senses. There's all kinds of things. There's uh, proximity and, you know, like we, our brains, it's crazy. It's literally crazy. But we just focus on our sense of time. Because what he asserts in his article is that not only do we have to break down everything we thought about neuro neuroscience, we have to break down everything we think we knew about ourselves and how we even process memories and how those memories inform our future decisions. And he was saying, instead of using the term prediction, where you can pre, you use current information or, or you use current information to predict the future, you used uh, past information to I'm not even going to try to explain it because I don't understand it. But anyway, the main point, <laughs> the main point is that, so if you think of it in terms of like someone who's schizophrenic here, this was the best explanation that, that I could um, uh, glean from the articles that if you think of someone who's schizophrenic, so instead of thinking at, because um, like traditionally I always thought schizophrenia was like, external or like an internal thing uh, uh, just a kind of like an added thing like cancer you know like a like a, um, cancer is nothing but just a uh, accelerated growth of mutated and unhealthy cells and then it creates a mass and da 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 and they can break off and go across your body and then it just like permeates your whole body and then you die schizophrenia if you think about it in the same way Traditionally, we thought that there was this cascade of mental things happening and it's just uncontrollable and all you could do is take this medicine. But what Eagleman asserts in his articles that schizophrenia may be just a disconnect between time being the present time and memories being what someone has experienced in the past. And just if you think about it for a moment, imagine your current conscious thoughts not being able to confirm or deny the presence of memories as true or as you have experienced them or it jumbles them up in such a way that it doesn't even sound like your own voice. So imagine if schizophrenia is just you fighting yourself in your head from two different time points because if I'm here in the present and I'm like, and I'm looking back, what if the memory feels like the present? 
and the present feels like the past. Like I, my, my, my mind is blown because he's, he was actually being, he was actually able to prove this through the ebb, through observing the ebb and flow of data being transferred between the atoms of calcium. And not only have we been able to find mechanisms of data transfer through these atoms um, in the brain, we can find it throughout our whole body's um, processes. And so, coming from this article, it's, I've been, one of the things that I loved about his ideas is that this possibility, this idea that we know nothing. <laughs> Even the smartest person on earth knows nothing. And that our skepticism is our strength, is what makes us human. Our skepticism of cosmic certainties is our strength. You feel cosmic things happening. You, I know you feel it in your, in your chest because I feel it. You feel like there's something greater than you controlling your life. And you might call that God. You might call that higher power. You might call that aliens, ancient aliens, whatever. But you feel like there's something greater than yourself. Imagine for a moment that that thing greater than yourself is you. That is you. And it's probably levels of consciousness that, are, that exist inside of our own bodies. And our energy, the way our energy is set up, the way our bodies are composed, probably protect us from being scared. So I think the notion of God, because I've, I've met a schizophrenic woman and she, not all, all she heard was that she was going to hell in her, in, in her mind. It was just a memory that was replaying from the past over and over again, but it felt like it was happening right now. And it felt ever present. And I feel like we should, instead of being scared of things and, and uh, trying to fix everything, we should celebrate the vastness of our ignorance. And we should use it as a catalyst to improve our lives through citizen science and through, or citizen theology or citizen gardening or whatever it is, you should be able to create or not the life that you envision by your own terms. So another thing that I got from this article and kind of moving kind of backwards in the article because I turned the page of my notes and I really found something uh, that stuck out to me was that uh, <laughs> it's, it's really funny. I wrote, I write really big and like really messy. And for some reason I put bitch please, 
Um, and I underlined it and put a comma there. Um, and underneath it, it says, each human has a hodgepodge of systems working together, um, also known as their chemical fingerprint, as I would put it. Because I just learned, I just watched the Apple keynote and they were talking about how you have a footprint of your phone of like unrelated, seemingly unrelated things that actually create a unique identifier for your particular internet browsing activity. If we translate that same idea into the chemical systems in our body, each person has a unique set of chemical systems or chemical processes in their body. No two people are the same, even identical twins are not the same. And that time is a sense, but it's a meta-sensory. It's meta-sensory where it kind of transcends our feelings and our present thoughts and our sense of, you know, our taste and our touch. Time kind of sits on top of all that stuff. Yet it's a sense that we can think about in more of a global way instead of in the discrete moment right now. So we can think about the future, we can think about the past, and in between it we can feel things and we can recall memories and we can do all, it's, oh my God, this is so amazing. It's so amazing. It's like our superpower. Consciousness is a superpower. And you should use it to your advantage. You should really be rethinking, instead of calling yourself a person or a body or an organic thing, we're literally machines, biological machines. The most advanced that we even can even know of. So, if we rethink time, and we rethink all of the notions that, we, that have been instilled into us as from children, it always brings me back to mortality and death. And, and if we can't, if time is a metasensory, is a metasensory function of our consciousness, why do we fear death? Text me, area code 513-289-0474. Do you want to die? If you want to die, why? You're allowed to feel it. Don't let anyone tell you because time is our sense. We sense time. It is normal to fear death. It is normal to think about things. It is normal to think about your birth just as it is as normal to think about your death and everything in between. And I'm not entirely convinced that our primary objective as humans is to survive. I don't honestly think that is as black and white as we think. That's what we would like to think because look at the earth, look at us. Like if you really sit back and take account of everything that's happened in your life, you, can, you can't, most people can't complain. But that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You're allowed to think about death. You're allowed to think about suicide. You're allowed to die. You're allowed to die by suicide. It's your right as a human. It's your right as a human to make a decision about what you feel is necessary without judgment from anybody, because we're all gonna die. It just depends on how and when. And sometimes people feel pain so great that their metasensory function of time may be malfunctioning or working exactly as it's supposed to. Who's to say it's not? 
wow. It's a lot, but it makes me feel better. It actually gives me more hope that I can have, I have the space, I don't feel trapped in life. Allowing myself to think about death decreases the anxiety of life because I know there's an end point, there was a beginning point and there's an end point in that the energy that exists inside of my body cannot be transmuted or destroyed even in death. Now, I don't wanna be a fleck of ash either, or I don't wanna be a particle of light or whatever it is. I would rather be reincarnated as another whole person. But again, that's not how any of this works. I, I love that commercial. I don't even know what commercial it is where she's like on the Facebook wall. You know, she has her thing on the Facebook. She makes a wall and calls it her Facebook wall. But it's just a wall of pictures in her, in her house. And then, she, and then the woman's like, that's not how any of this works. And I say that all the time now. It's the funniest commercial, but that's how it just gives, it just proves the point that we can, pe people suggest things to us and they stick. They, they do, that's just how we're, that's how we survive. That's our survival mechanism. That's how we're taught. But we have the ability to, to transcend all of that too. Don't forget, you are the center of the sun. Follow me on, on, on Twitter because I just seem to be arguing with people on Twitter all the time, so I need more people that agree with me, please. CenterSun21 on Twitter, CenterSun21.com, area code 513-289-0474. That is a text, Blackberry, you can text too, or you can call it, but I'm not gonna pick up unless you leave me a voicemail, or well, I don't even think the voicemail's set up. I don't know how to use a Blackberry. <laughs> or Android, but I got one because I wanted a secure place off the internet that wasn't, um, that can't be hacked by Russians. And it's, you know, telephones are public, are public work, just like parking meters and, and uh, water systems and stuff, like those are public works. Telephone lines are public works. Cell phones, you have a specific cell phone that's public or a number, you know, your information's public because that's a public work. If, you, if, if your name can go in a phone book or, or you can choose to put your name in a phone book or take it out, it's a public work. So I wanted to create a second line just for y'all. Text me, area code 513-289-0474. Do you want to die and why? I want you to really think about it. You don't have to tell me why. You can feel free to just do it at home. But the less we talk about it, the more trapped I know, the more trapped I feel. So talking about things, I'm a verbal processor. That's why I have a podcast. I have to put my thoughts in the air for them to be synthesized in a way that can translate to other people. I, it's not, I'm not, I'm more of a talker than a writer. I can do both, but when I speak it out loud, there's a weight and there's a, there's a physical change that happens, so. I hope you all have a good day. When you make the brave decision to venture within, you will unlock your true potential so you can push forward with confidence, conviction, and a purpose. For only $1, you can become a Center of the Sun Plus Gold member and get closer to that purpose. No matter how difficult the process may be, remember it's your resilience and commitment that will ultimately lead you to where you want to go.